Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Diary of an Addict. Today I'll be sharing part two of my good friend Alex Shrimp's story. I felt it was necessary to split his story into two so that it's better absorbed because, man, sometimes when I get to having these conversations with people, you know, I forget that we're recording and we're on a time limit, sort of. So we kind of just, you know, get lost in a moment, which is a good thing. And I wanted you guys to be a part of that. So here's part two. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but, you know, that's this also helps paint a picture of, you know, the insecurity and the power of the brain and how I led myself down this path, you know, without a choice. You know, um, a big part of it, I'm really excited to speak to Vin on Tuesday about this, balancing faith in recovery and with just this journey towards self-esteem and self-love. You know, I, from, I want to say 12, 13, all the way through 15, 16, I, I worked very hard to pray the gay away. I, I prayed to the God that I understood at the time, which was, you know, based off Christian, kind of Presbyterian church values. Go ahead. I never asked you about that, mm-hmm. about the God thing, because I don't know what kind of church you went to, but the church I go to, well, I went to, I'm kind of wrestling with it. And it's hard for me because for so long I would like make excuses about not going to church. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple experiences where I blamed the church and not the people in that church. Where one time my grandpa, I was going to do a basketball game. It was just a rec league game. He, he called me. He never calls me. He didn't really use the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, oh my God, is something wrong with grandma? No, I want you to go to church with me. Hmm. You got 30 minutes. And I was like, grandpa, I got a game. Where's your game? Silva. Silva's 30 minutes away. I was like, yeah. He said, so even if you're there, you can still make it to church in time. I want you to come with me. He never asked me for anything. So I turned my car around and went. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm in basketball clothes. Uh, I had a wife beater and basketball shorts on. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, you, well, if, I don't know if you've seen my... Dad. Yeah. I go into the church and everybody turns around. Well, they do anyways. I don't know... If it's like that or just in the south but you go to church and I got there like two minutes late maybe whole congregation except for my grandpa and I feel them like I don't hear what they're saying but I hear and I went up there and I sat with my grandpa and I, I never went back for a while because of that you know but I go to this church and I ain't gonna say the name of it but and there's nothing wrong with with them, I don't think. Maybe I don't know. They're they're really like fire and brimstone. You know, a man lays with another man, he's going to fucking hell. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, I just want to ask, like, is it? Does that make it hard with God and church? Or oh yeah. I mean, it is that what you meant by praying the gay way? Yeah, yeah. I say that because that was, I think, a way people said it at some point. I heard that, and I was like, oh yeah, I tried that for years. I begged. God, please, like, I'm trying. I want to do this right. This is not, but this is, it's the same way as if you're praying not to be straight. Like, it's you're the way your brain works. It's We're not to be black. We're German. Yeah. We're Indian. Exactly. We're exactly. It's like, this is, this is the, the core fundamental aspect of how, if we're all vibrations through little untouching molecules of matter in this floating ball in space, we're all vibrations. Maybe it's just a phase shift. Maybe I'm just slightly out of phase. But whatever it is, I know that I tried so hard to fit in line with the way they said it's supposed to work. And those prayers were never answered. And um, some might hear that and say, Oof, well, you didn't try hard enough. <laughs> you know, I tried, I tried a pretty good amount. It's not been living right if your prayers yeah, get answered. Right? Yeah, right. Um, I don't know anybody that would sit here and say I'm a bad guy and that I'm not kind-hearted and welcoming and accepting um, and I, I, I hold on to those things to the core the amount of, I hurt and I know the amount of like little things that have impacted me for the better like a stranger smiling or just being seen or a friend calling me and checking in knowing how much those impacted me a big part of my life is making sure that I do that for people in my life right I smile to people when I walk by them I call and check on my friends be because, who you need yeah 
and be who I need. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, yeah, and so it did. It, it affected my my faith. I uh, it sent me on this journey. I um, as I left home and went to college, I I went to sat in a bunch of different like clubs and groups at school, different religions, and wanted to hear what this is about and what is that about and musicians and writers that I liked what are they what are they about and let me learn more about that religion and I don't know I I didn't find anything that just clicked you know um and so I was you know spirits drifting without like a true north or a place to like or just a belief but the, the challenge for me was that I always felt like something was there you know there's something in the water right um but I, I wasn't connected to anything organized, and I started developing a distrust in anybody who felt like they knew what it was. Um, and it took me a long time, you know, I mean, without that, without any faith, I mean, I was in a dark place. And uh, the, <laughs> the ironic part was, you know, I'd, I'd gotten sober and I'd, begun, you know, in AA especially, you know, there's a lot of God talk, but they also say it's God as you understand him. And I had been introduced in my mid-20s to the idea of agnosticism. I hadn't really heard the term. I thought I was an atheist for a while. Um, you know, I had friends that, you know, were kind of anti-religion, and religion has caused every war in our history. Like, obviously, there's this, if it's causing this much pain, how can it be the right thing, yada, yada. So I was just, you know, drifting, trying to figure out, like, going with what other people said was right, people in my life, and also recognizing, like, they can't be this, or at least I can't accept this because I'm, I'm trying to do it right, and I'm doing good. I'm trying to do good in all these other things, too, and it's just this one thing that I'm going to be vilified for, right, that I have no control over. I have to accept that I have no control over this. As hard as I tried to change the way I thought and change the way I acted, I cannot control that my heart resonates on this end of the spectrum, more so than this one. And I have women in my life that I love and admire so fiercely. Um, and yet it's just like a capacity for love. Like, feeling vilified for your capacity for love is such a nonsensical thing when you think about it. You know, it's so innocent, and yet it's and then on top of that, you know, like we talked about, it's, it's reinforced by how much less than it's talked about in hyper-masculine cultures like sports. Um, I played in youth football growing up. We played Smear the Queer. And I didn't know really what queer was, but, um, <clears throat> you know, looking back at it, I'm like, no wonder it was hard to come out, you know, when the game was literally whoever was unfortunate enough to have the ball was the queer, and everyone on the field was chasing them yeah. to tackle them, yeah. right? So, you know... Kind of lost my train of thought, but kids are mean as fuck too. Yeah, I know, man. My friends like would be like, uh, "Smear the whatever your name is," mm -hmm. you know, if, like it was that. You know, it's just what we learned. Like, exactly. Not even. I don't even know if it was what we learned, but it was what we heard. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as a kid, you know, you parrot what you hear, you parrot what you see, whether it be right or wrong. It takes a long time, you know. For me, um, I didn't realize that some of the stuff that I thought was normal growing up was not only not normal, but extremely dysfunctional, like almost like criminal in some states, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it, those eye-opening moments, man, it's, um, it's nice to open your eyes, but then sometimes like you're looking back at like, man, like all this feels like wasted time and space effort you know so so many missed opportunities so many but everything happens for a reason that's a fact i mean and that's where we're at now right it's like almost i almost have to look at it that way because if if i lose sight of you know we talked about the value of routine and ritual and the things that we need to do to keep ourselves grounded and present and in touch with what matters in this world um you know i think proximity to a world of recovery for me is big um, meditation is big and exercise is big uh, friendship and family and um, 
I have to be able to give myself, I need purpose, I need to give myself to a cause, and I need to be able to work hard at it. And uh, that's the point I was going to lead to was faith and prayer. You know, um, so I first got sober, and my first sober day was December 4th, 2015. And um, I got myself a good, I want to say around nine months before I let myself start smoking weed again. And the weed was easy to justify because I didn't get hangovers. And besides maybe being a little bit more forgetful, um, it, it wasn't necessarily destroying things. And you were in Colorado. And I was in Colorado by way of Seattle. So I've been in legal states yeah. for a minute, you know, and I knew how accessible it was. And I knew that I could um, still use it and go function. about my day to function, right? But um, it did put, push pause, I think, on that redevelopment process that recovery gave to me. Um, I think it hindered my growth a little bit more. It, it, I, it was growing, but it wasn't as rapid as it was in those first nine months, right? Um, Stunned your growth a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's okay. Uh, I had to learn how to be graceful with it. You know, nothing worse than a head full of recovery and a belly full of liquor, or, you know, a head full of weed. But... Um, you know, it it kind of caused me to drift a little bit from the recovery world. And, um, you know, I had a I learned this lesson a couple times, but you know, I, I don't believe weed is a gateway drug. But I also need I feel like I need to express that I think everybody responds to all these different things a little bit differently. And uh, you know, weed is so hard to even admit that you might not be balanced with your use of it because so many people look at it as like, it ain't heroin, it ain't coke, it ain't alcohol. Like, it's just weed. You should be able to handle your weed, right? And so there's this added shame of like, oh, you know, I'm, damn, I'm smoking way too much and yet it's hard to stop. And recognizing, yeah, weed ain't what it was in the 80s. Like, the stuff is, it creates dependencies, you know? Um, and for me, what I recognize is even if I can function that way, it inevitably leads to a drop in esteem and therefore the thought that I can drink. And, um, and my first relapse was, I believe in September of 2019, right before COVID. And I uh, drank it. I had a few beers a friend who was visiting left in my fridge. And I had a little... Yourself? Yeah, tough day. Because, you know, one of the gifts that recovery gives you is a world where people don't think you drink and so you can't just start drinking in front of them because then you got people in your business so I had a few beers in my fridge and I had a really tough day and I was frustrated and I said you know fuck it I can drink a couple beers what's crazy is that led to that's not enough if I'm gonna go back out so I walked to the bar that I live near down the street from and then um I remember I blacked out and woke up in my bed the next morning and uh whew. That was tough, man. There was a lot of shame around that. I, uh, I remember I'd, as my drunken state caused some damage to a friend's business that was down the street from me. Just broke a window. Um, the cops called on me. Another moment of grace from a higher power and that I was forgiven. I was empathized with. My friend, um, who I damaged his building, supported me, and um, didn't vilify me for it. And the gift of that was that it, uh, it instilled in me that I do have a, a real community in Colorado. I had people that had my back and appreciated me and accepted me regardless of any of my little breaks, right? I hadn't done anything terrible. I was just drunk and being an idiot and stumbled and fell and broke a window. Um, and yet, you know, I was a basketball coach. I was a member of the community. And, uh, upstanding citizen. Mm hmm. You can't be doing things like that. And yet, I, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking I, I, I developed and garnered so much momentum in the good path. You know, it's almost made me think of like this whole relationship with my sexuality and my identity. It was like, I've done so much good that maybe people will look past these flubs, you know, and these little mistakes. And it's not even a mistake, it's just this. This thing that I feel like doesn't sit in line with, you know, what you what everyone thinks it's supposed to be, you know. Um, Don't fit in a box. Yeah. And um, 
the gift out of that was I was so rejuvenated and recommitted to recovery. And I remembered that, oh, wow, I'm here because I'm not going to any meetings. I'm not uh, saying any prayers. I'm um, not meditating. I wasn't doing I'm off routine entirely. And I justified it because I was giving my routine up to what I needed to do to be a service. And, um, you know, it still wasn't looking out for myself. It was like I was on a plane going down, putting everybody else's oxygen mask on with that one on, you know. And a plane on autopilot. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I can't help unless I'm helping myself. I can't be of service until I'm right. Heal people, heal people, like Jackie says, right? That's the irony of, of I think, the serving heart and helping others is that you have to be selfish first. Mm-hmm. If you don't take, if you ain't good to Alex, Alex ain't good to nobody. Right. If I ain't good to Jack, Jack ain't good to nobody. If I don't take care of me, I'm no good to nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, when I had my first kids, it, the routine thing like stuck with me because my my mom and my grandma, you know, they were telling me, you know, you gotta get her in a routine. My daughter, really. Um, you gotta get her up at the same time, you gotta give her a bath at the same time, because I was like, she won't sleep through the night. Like, no matter what I do, she wakes up every two hours, you know, but she was a big baby, she was just hungry, but <laughs> once I started, you know, and they were like, get this kind of bath soap, wash her with this, lavender to help her sleep, you know, and then read to her or whatever. And I started this routine. Every night, I'd feed her, then we'd take a bath, and then we'd go lay in bed, and I'd read to her, you know, and then she started sleeping a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And then after the routine, you know, before you know it, she was sleeping all the way through the night, mm-hmm. you know. And I never thought about that until, like we were talking about earlier, when I was locked up and I was seeing, like, the change in myself, you know, even, like, the way that I looked. I'd, I'd fluctuate, like, 50 pounds from, like, my strung out weight to my healthy weight. And uh, it was all tied to the routine that I had, the mm-hmm. structure I had, the... the the discipline, the habits that I made for myself. And even now, you know, like, not saying that it couldn't happen because, you know, at any time one of us could relapse, but my routine don't make me want to go get high, mm-hmm. but it makes me feel off. Mm-hmm. If, if I miss my routine, like, my day's off. Like, mm-hmm. the whole day, sometimes a couple days, it takes me a little while. Even if I start my routine back the next morning, it still takes me a couple days to get back to it feeling the way that I want to. Yeah. So I agree with that, man. Yeah, it's, for me it was, uh, you know, complacency thinking, I think I'm I'm healed, I gotta figure it out. I uh, had this gift of reconnecting with a mentor of mine I hadn't seen in years, um, who in his own right had his own journey and was out doing his own thing for a while not a nature of recovery or anything. He was seeking, you know, understanding and furthering his own experience in life. And um, Mike came back to Seattle the beginning of this year. I remember I had emailed him in February of 2022, and I woke up one morning in December of last year, 2022, with an email from him in my inbox. And it ignited me because I was so excited to hear from him. And um, he had been in a sanctuary in Africa, learning to be a monk um, and studying with monks. And um, he'd been there for years. And uh, we, we had this opportunity to sit down for a few hours, just one-on-one and catch up on life. And, you know, I remember just once again, it was the first time in a while I was like kind of nervous to come out to him because he was somebody that was just so, so high up on this pedestal of like alpha, solid, um, hard worker, like just God on the basketball court, right? And also was just unabashedly himself, um, always. Like he had his beliefs, um, he had his relationship to the game, and it was his. Would you say he was a man's man? Oh, yeah, in many ways. In many ways. Um, yeah, he's. <laughs> um, yeah. And we were sitting here, and I, I was nervous to come out to him. I hadn't felt that in a little while. And, you know, he didn't bat an eye, he didn't blink, he didn't hesitate. He's like, you know, that's, that's not really a thing, you know. At the end of the day, really the only man is him, you know. And we're all 
know, the idea that we're all spirits is, you know, he was one of the first people in my life to introduce me to this idea. It's like we're all spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around, right? And uh, he talked about the masters in the sanctuary who didn't see bodies. They didn't see your skin. They just saw your spirit. And it's like there aren't that many rules to this man, you know. Um, but one of the things that were so profound that he shared with me is this idea that spirituality, and by way of that I, I find recovery in sobriety, is um, it's like a drop of water on the back of a water lotus, um, back of a lotus. They're, wings and their backs are hydrophobic so water beads up and will fall off in the slightest motion right and being able to balance that bead of water on its back it is so delicate the second you stop trying to hold it onto it it'll fall off right and so that's where i look at it now as i've learned this lesson multiple times and i have cyclical relapse or it was always like september for me for a little bit um or something would lead me up and I would get complacent in my pattern. I'd get a good amount of time and I wouldn't drink for a year or maybe even two. And But I would let weed back in and then I would end up drinking. Um, and I would learn and reinforce this knowledge that it is fickle. It is delicate. It's so fragile. This, this stability and recovery and the stability in life, therefore, right? And it's the most important thing for me now. Um, I can, I can, I can do a, I can do anything in sobriety. I really feel that. And the second I reintroduce or really lose it, um, the narrative changes in my head, and I limit myself, and I'm not capable. And suddenly I'm really harsh, and I'm negative, and I'm self-judgmental, and I'm not deserving. You know, and it's crazy how quick it can happen um, if I lose stability in my routine and my ritual and my practice. In my discipline, you know, talk about like that Jaco Milic idea. It's discipline is freedom, and um, the challenge is it's not just black and white for everybody. Some people are double-edged sword. One of the, the the gift of it is that they just see it in black and white. I have to have this discipline, and I can achieve the things I want to achieve. For some people, it's harder. And for me, um, in addiction, I relinquish my ability to affect discipline in my own life the second I reintroduce substances. And I have to say that out loud because, you know, if I, if I diminish that or if I, you know, minimize it in any way or try to sugarcoat it and make it sound less real, like, then I'll end up creating a world for myself where I might be able to go back yeah, out. You created an alley with a justification. Mm -hmm. But if something happens or if, you know, I'm able to do this, then maybe I can have this toast. It's like, no, why? If I know and I've learned over and over again that I am only capable of achieving the things I want to achieve or affecting the change I want to affect if I commit to this thing first, if I put my mask on first, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of the opposite for me with uh, drinking. Mm -hmm. I've had stints where, and I have, I'm not going to... People, I want to say this. Um, if you do smoke weed, you're Cali sober, mm -hmm. or you take Suboxone, or you take Methadone, or... They do uh, psilocybin therapy mm -hmm. now. Any kind of MAT, I'm proud of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's some people who don't do none of that, but they drink. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, they're doing better. Mm -hmm. I'm proud of them, too. Me, I can't do that. Right. I drink, I get this fuck it in my system, mm -hmm. and I'm like, fuck it, you know. I'm drunk, I got work tomorrow, I can't sober up in two hours. And, like, I think those were, like, pre pre-relapses for me in the fact that I knew... And then I'd be like, I could justify that to the people around me that I felt like were going to be judging me for doing the drugs. They'd be like, man, I know that if I do this line of meth or this line of coke and to sober me up so I can go to work, mm -hmm. you know, I had to make sure that justification was in there. Mm -hmm. That's bad. But what's worse, me staying drunk and missing work and getting fired, then what am I going to do? You know, so I'd like to make it the lesser of two evils, right. you know. And so that's... I, when you say that, I, 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 I was there with you. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I, and then sometimes I'd be, <laughs> well, I won't drink liquor. I'll drink beer mm -hmm. on holidays, mm -hmm. special occasions, Super Bowl, glass champagne, Thursdays, yeah, yeah, so yeah, many toasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's never that, man. Like the old AA cliche, man. Like uh, 
One drink is too many and a thousand's never enough. Yeah. That, that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. I think they seen me and made that. <laughs> but I, I understand that completely, man. Yeah, and the the trick is, you know, it's it doesn't happen immediately, usually. It can it can come back strong, but it can also take months before, you know, and I can be a normal, typical drinker for a while and then suddenly that comes back out, you know, and and I really appreciate you making that point. I mean, part of the I think the challenge of sitting out here and putting your shit out is you don't want to come across the wrong way. And that's where I want to reinforce that point is like, I really truly believe we all have a thumbprint in how we uniquely respond to different stimulation in this world, you know? Um, some people read something and get a different message out of it. Some people hear a song and hear it a little bit. They like it or they don't. Some people take a drink and their body might be allergic or it might ignite from it or it might just be a totally neutral response. And I think every substance has that. I think the key is to know yourself. And that's been the journey I've been on is understanding and accepting, here are my circumstances. This is not lesser than or worse than. This is just my set of circumstances. This is and, how I operate. And I still have the choice. I could go back out there right now, right? But I know that the path that it's going to lead me down through trial and error, it's demonstrated historically in my life, that is not the path that is in line with what my heart desires and what the people around me want for me, you know? It's not what's healthy for me. Um, you have to know yourself, and if those, the people that are out there finding that for themselves, you know, and, and finding that balance, um, that is, it's, it's something that you should be so proud of and grateful for because you've taken the time to understand, you know, here are my limitations. Here, here's what helps me. Here's what doesn't. There's so much information thrown at us all the time, and so much of it is really, really heartbreaking. I mean, we look at what's going on in the world literally today. Um, see what's going on in the Gaza Strip and between Israel and Palestine, and regardless of who's right or who's wrong, man, it's heartbreaking. Wars and genocides and tragedy happen every single day across this planet. We find our little bubbles and we might insulate from it a little bit, but at the end of the day, there's so much going on and it's, it'd be crazy not to be in flux in your spirit and uncertain in, in your heart of like where this world is going, right? Um, and we all have to find out how can we best process it. And for me, I know I have to speak things out loud. I need to share what's going on in my heart and in my mind with somebody else. Um, I know that I need to maintain proximity to people that understand and appreciate the challenges of alcoholism and addiction, um, because that's not that's not a universal knowledge or awareness. You know, um, there's a lot of people that don't have to deal with that, and there was a point where I envied that so much, just like I envied friends who were just straight because they got to fit in in the normal box that this world has created. Um, <clears throat> but at the end of the day, it's like you have to, I have to know myself and I have to understand that I can accept that and I can also be that and in fact despite what I've told myself for so long the more I embrace that part of myself the more that um, I'm free you know um, there's nothing wrong with me because I can't do this mm -hmm. I'm not less than because I go out with my friends and they drink and I don't I'm not weird I'm not the outcast I still sometimes I feel like that you know mm -hmm. but then and God bless them. Um, every time I'm around someone who drinks, I get a good reminder of why I don't. <laughs> yep. Somebody's acting crazy. Somebody's somebody fights. Somebody blows up. Something happens, and I'm like, "Thank you." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Done that enough. You know, I have my allotment. <laughs> I've yeah. been there. You know, yeah. that ain't shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so soft. No, man. Like it is, and. You know, we talked earlier about this, like in early recovery, the challenge of, you know, for me, I had so many friends that were still so close and dear to my heart that weren't enablers necessarily or weren't creating this world for me that uh, uh, helped lead me down this path of like almost genuine self-harm, right? Um, I didn't want to just cut those relationships out of my life because I need to build a bubble of a safe space. I needed to figure out how to get right with myself so that I could show up for them, right? Like they did for you. You don't want people to walk on eggshells, not for me. I 100%, don't. no. 
I don't want you to like be like, oh, I can't, I can't drink around your oh, yeah, I can't listen to this type of music. Because then your friends can't be themselves around. Exactly. And then that's that's not you went through that. You couldn't be yourself because you couldn't come out. And now, I would be expecting my friends to do that also. Mm -hmm. Don't be your full self. Don't express yourself fully for fear of what how it might make me feel. That goes into like this idea of you know we learn and. In this process, in this journey of just acceptance of ourselves Radical. and others, radical Radical. acceptance, right? Is radical <laughs> and, acceptance. Uh, I hope she's listening. <laughs> she probably is. Rolling her eyes. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's and it can be because it's, you know, we can't just. It's not supposed to diminish our emotions or responses to certain things. Like, yeah, we can, we can get charged up. We can be hurt. We can be elevated or put down by something that happens in our life, but especially the way other people behave. Um, you know, we talked about that David White quote, understanding, if I fully understood somebody's story, I'd understand the nature of their actions. And this idea that, like he says, now I choose to treat everybody as if I know their whole story, regardless of if I have learned it yet. Um, and therefore that means that there's something behind everything and how people behave and how people respond and how people process stimulation as it comes at us. And um, who am I to judge? Because I have done it far from perfectly, Jack. Yeah. Um, and yet, like we keep saying, the more we know, the more we realize we don't. Um, you know, I'm not sitting here thinking that I know how to define it. I'm, I'm still seeking to figure out how to define myself and understand myself. I know that I'm far more graceful than I used to be. Um, I, I'm very graceful with people around me, but it took me a long time to learn how to give that to myself. And... Uh, and now it enables me to be even more empathetic and uh, more accepting of whatever goes on around me. And uh, I'm grateful for that because, like we let off this little talk with, I mean, man, we are all so much closer together than we will give each other credit for. You know, in the second, you know, my old therapist, she would say all the time, you write blockbuster movies in your head, Alex, and I keep realizing, like, everybody's a blockbuster movie. If you sit down and learn somebody's story, you'll hear tragedy, you'll hear success, you'll hear overcoming, you'll hear succumbing, you'll hear all the good and the bad, the agathocological nature of life, this complicated human experience. We all have something to say, some lesson to share. Um, But so many of us get to this point in life where we tell ourselves that we're wrong or we're not worthy or we're not capable we're not valued and um, you know that's where in sports you know so much of it for me comes to light in basketball and like what is basketball culture when done right I think it's a culture of upliftment I really feel like we're equal participants in each other's experiences right Um, if I'm surrounded by people that lift me up and um, accept me for me and are vocal about it and make that known you know and reinforce it all the time I do that for them as well. I'm not saying, like I said from the beginning, I will never defer blame for this because the vast majority of my struggles were challenges I created for myself. The way I talked to myself, the way I processed and chose to look at certain aspects of what the world would put and present to me, right? But, you know, we can help each other in looking at the right side and the bright side if, if we actively look out for each other in that way. We actively uplift. We take out this culture of like just constant teasing and thinking like that's that's bros being bros talking shit to each other. Like some people don't respond as well to that. And yeah, you can get to a point in a relationship. Yes, you can you can joke with each other. You can if you get and establish that relationship and if you truly know somebody. But I don't know where I'm going with that. I just think if if we cared a little bit more, just like in basketball, it's like if you focused on creating for your other four, everything comes back to you tenfold. Um, And if you have five players on the court that are constantly looking to create for each other, they're gonna find themselves getting everything they want in the game, you know? Um, And I think that's a euphemism for life. And, you know, I found that in recovery when I'm surrounded by people that validate my experience and accept the emotion and my responses and just give me validity. Like, it is fair that you responded this way. It's, it's okay that this is how you've reacted, you know? And it's okay that this is where you are. And, um, and this is what we can do now. There's always this opportunity for Who's better. Who's the next move? Yeah. That next play mentality that, uh, that Coach Cruz, I used to coach with at Bellevue, um, 
I always say, next play, man, next play. And I got to say that in life. Like, every single day is the next play. Every moment's the next play. Like, we always have this opportunity to just forgive, learn, move on. On to the next one, and let's do better. And that's okay if we don't, you know, like the grace of it's all right. I think that's such a core component of, like, a good and healthy basketball culture is, like, that aspect of forgiveness. And, um... Yeah, short memory. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Not too short. Yeah. But, because <laughs> I've definitely stunned mine in a handful of ways. But, um, yeah, man, I think I, that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, if there's any energy that I can bring into the world at this point, it's, uh, one, it's none of it's original. It's all stuff that I've gotten from others. It's all gifts that I've received. And I'm not over here inventing the wheel or anything, but I know that there's things that worked for me and something completely different might work for the person next to me. And one, I have to be willing to accept that and find that middle ground between us in it. Um, and not vilify them. For- and two, I can't vilify because they something different works for them. You know. In fact, I at this point in my life, I celebrate it. I have an appetite like... So many people are out here perceiving this world and their existence in completely different ways. There's such a wide spectrum and so many different aspects of our, just this complicated nature of life, right? Um, and I, I have a thirst for like meeting people and understanding how, how, what their perception, where it lies on those spectrums and how it contrasts mine own. And then from there, figuring out these middle grounds, like what's the middle point where we can both say this is the same in us, you know? Um, what that reminds me of is like uh, if I asked you to wear your glasses mm-hmm. and I put them on and I look through the world through your lens mm-hmm. that's that's what that yeah you know like walking in other people's shoes yeah um, you know we talked about this earlier and I I love that we're in alignment with it because I do believe you know like we talked about I run through Ballard all the time and you know there's a lot of a lot of tents, a large homeless population is very visible in Ballard. And, you know, I look at them and my heart hurts because, you know, we, we, we're in the middle of a pandemic of, of drugs in this country. And there's a lot of people that are unseen and sitting right in front of us that are hurting. And I'm also living in this beautiful part of Seattle. There's this huge community of people that are giving back and figuring out how can we help. There's food banks, there's commons, there's... Um, so many people doing what they can to at least uplift and provide access and remind somebody, hey, you're seen and you're loved whether you feel it or not. And hopefully one day you might want to take some time and love yourself, take a step. You know, um, this lack of faith and this compartmentalization of faith challenges me too because like the only way that I've ever found stability and overcome the momentum of addiction was by getting on my knees and saying a prayer and I know like we said at dinner I don't I'm very confident I can't say I know I don't know anything in this regard (laughs) nobody does but I'm I feel like it's probably not an old white guy with a beard in the clouds and it's not what I'm picturing when I'm praying Um, and I'll say God to embody this idea of you know for all fractured spirits of this greater being you know it's all of us you know, I'm saying it out loud to people. I'm saying it out loud to the world. Like, these are the things that I'm dealing with. These are the things I'm trying, I need help with. Every single time in some of the toughest parts of my life that I've succumbed, regardless of my past experience and my relationship with faith, as I've already described, every single time that I've taken that, that step and gotten down on my knees, I found myself course correcting. I look back at it now and it's quite profound. Like, um, I know that I could not do this on my own. And I know that even with a lot of, a lot of unconditional love around me, you know, I, I couldn't do it for others. I couldn't just do it for myself. Um, and it was faith and it was a higher power that was able to get me off my ass and give myself a chance again multiple times and um, so I shudder to try to describe it or define it you know I've spent so much time trying to find it um, and now it's like you know like we talked about this idea of acceptance like I, I don't have to define it I don't have to be able to describe and draw it out or see it in person because there's been too many moments 
where the only thing that was able to get me over what seemed like an insurmountable hump was saying it out loud, cutting my hands together and hoping that something listened, you know? Um, and then from there, just the way, the serendipity of life and how if you can just get back in line and grounded and present, how many things really are there? Like, when, I'm, when I drink, I, I lose sight of the natural beauty of every single day, you know? And there's so many beautiful moments in every day, even on the really tough ones, that yeah. I can only see when I'm in that space, right? And um, at this point now, I'm, I don't want to lose it, you know? And I'm invigorated to keep working for it. Um, and also figuring out, like, how can we maybe shed some of these boxes, you know, that so many people have put so many things in. Like, there are so few boxes, really, in this world. And um, I think about, like, what could I have been told 15 years ago that might have allowed me to... What would you tell yourself? I was talking to myself at like 15. Or no, let's go with uh, 22. We can go 15 first and then 22. Would it be the same message? Yeah. What I think about, um, so I was carrying a lot of the same insecurities. You know, I was in different periods and I'd gone through different hardships at those two points, but. Just had different coping mechanisms? Uh huh. But, um, you know, it makes me think like this idea that so many people hesitate to say they're broken. You know, um, I talked about Dirk. I used to have him come and talk to my basketball team every season. And I remember the first time he did it, I was like, ooh, this might be a little deep. <laughs> I don't know how the parents will respond when Dirk comes and tells him we're all broken people. Um, a lot of people hesitate to admit that there are breaks. And uh, if we live in a world where, you know, you're not supposed to be broken, but some people are, and we, we feel for them, but you're not supposed to be broken, you're supposed to be whole. It's like we're all broken and we're all seeking healing in some capacity. Everybody has gone through something, you know, and we all have a capacity for suffering and, you know, you, we talked about not equating it and not comparing. It's not like you can't say this person suffered so much more, or this person suffered so much less. It's we're all going through this toxic soup of life, you know, trying to discover a semblance of understanding to all of it together, you know? We're all going through it, man. And, um, like, being able to say I'm a broken person and I'm healing and I'm at, maybe at a different stage than you, like, I think for me, if I heard that, one, it's okay to be broken, and two, everyone is, and three, that doesn't make you worse or less than or less capable or less valued. Um, it makes you part of this beautiful thing that you are, just like anyone is. And uh, you're loved and you're capable of anything. Um, but that all comes from you first. You have to give that to yourself. You know, and I, I mean, it's so abstract to then compare, I think at that age especially, like external versus internal validation. It sounds so cliche to just tell myself these affirmations and to say nice things because at the end of the day my brain's still going to pop in these intrusive thoughts of negatives so maybe reminding myself too that you're not your thoughts your spirit is the observer of this you know quantum computer between your ears that's firing off every possible thing it can right and sometimes it'll be pretty freaking negative but that thing is tricking you really I've for me, man, my brain is like sometimes my biggest hater. You know, yeah, exactly. Daughter, like. That's what I'm saying. It will, it will try to trick me by saying all the negatives. And there's so many times that telling my story, uh, reaching out for help, like the narrative my brain told me would happen was so much worse than oh, yeah. what actually happened. Oh yeah. It was like 20 times, like not even close. You know what I mean? Like it, almost to the point of where I was like. I really put off this shit for this long because mm -hmm. I thought this was going to happen. The blockbuster hits, man. I was writing Marvel movies. I had and a saga. You know yeah. what I mean? The city's destroyed and the Avengers Fast, are dead. <laughs> Fast and the Furious, 10 parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, no, that was just a moment. Like, And it's okay. And Yeah, man. I. You don't even have enough for a book here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of movies. Right? <laughs> Seriously, it was a poem. Yeah. And um, a bar. <laughs> yeah. Just a one bar lyric. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I think it, 
recognizing that one, a lot of us have that in us, like this, this brain that's going to doubt, this brain that is going to, one, find all the possibilities, but find all the, define so many probabilities for you. And like the trick is like, as trying not to sound cliche, like honestly, the vast majority of those thoughts that are negative, one, you have the ability to dismiss them, forgive them and let them flow out and move on to the next, right? I spent so many years thought spiraling on these blockbuster scripts I'd write about how things will get so much worse if I am true to myself and I'm true to the world around me. Um, only to discover, like, yeah, it was all in here. And, uh, and yet still I didn't make it any less real or valid and that I still was experiencing that and those emotions that I carried and did not process and just shoved down deep, they, they festered. And that's what happens to us. Like this idea that, you know, we have to be constantly and consummately stoic and, um, you know, emotions shouldn't affect, especially men in America, you know, we're not supposed to cry and we're supposed to, you know, make it about others, not about ourselves. Like, like you said, men, we cannot show up in this world as our best selves unless we are able to process and get out and express this stuff. You know, um, but yeah, I think at its core, I think if I had this opportunity to convince myself of something early on, it was this idea that, you know, your brain's going to say good and bad. And there's going to be a lot of times where it is going to try to trick you into thinking that you do not have this value. You're not capable of doing this thing. And you need to remember that it's trying to trick you and you are always capable and you always have this value and you are always able to achieve whatever it is you want. You just have to keep believing that and you have to stick to it and you have to surround yourself with people that will help you and remind you of that, you know? Um, don't be afraid to fail. And don't be afraid to fail. It's not about being perfect. It's actually just about showing up, like not being the best at it or not, you know, whether it's expression or if it's a sport, like being okay not being perfect, being okay being broken, right? And going out there and doing it anyways, that's, that's the courage, that's the bravery. And that's, um, I mean, I look at so many people I look up to now, peers, friends, um, mentors, and guys from my city or girls from my city have gone out and achieved, you know, their dreams in sport or elsewhere. Um, they just kept doing it. They didn't let other people tell them no. They didn't let other people tell them they're not capable. Um, I envied that self-assurance for so long in my life because I couldn't, it was cliche to think I could possibly even think of myself that way. Yeah. Um, which just sounds crazy, you know? A lot of people using those as like gasoline to like mm -hmm. push forward, you yep. know? And that goes back to like this, this spectrum of perception. And like people respond to stimulus differently. You know, I remember somebody I've always admired and just loved and been a fan of is Peyton Seba, a basketball player from our city. I grew up playing against him. We're the same class. Um, my favorite game I ever played in was senior year of high school, and I lost to his team at Franklin High School at uh, Bellevue College in the district championships. We lost by two or three points. But it was the most beautiful display of competition and respect and sportsmanship I'd ever been a part of. And my team, despite losing that game, was so invigorated by it like that's that was that that game taught me like the juice of wooden's pyramid of competitive excellence it's like if you give your all you will be satisfied with the outcome it's not about just always going out there to win we go to play to play mm -hmm. play at your best ability, it, right and make it beautiful and play for the fun mm -hmm. and the enjoyment of it but siva was a guy that when going got tough this man locked into another level and I, I never found that in myself. I never gave that to myself for so long. And I always admired it from afar because I felt like there were a few moments where when shit got tough, I kind of, there's a few moments I shriveled. And then when I built up confidence through time and effort, there are moments when I shined. But Siva always, going got tough, this man burrowed down and buckets fell, never feared. Um, I always admired that in people. I always gravitated towards that in others because I didn't see it in myself. I didn't give it to myself. And what's crazy is in retrospect, I could have always given that to myself 
if that's what I told myself and that's how I talked to myself, right? Um, and that's where I go back to this idea of we're all equal to participants. Like, we have to find a way to create culture where we can value each other and uplift each other like that, you know? And I think sports teaches us that in a lot of ways, too. Um, you know, my experience coaching in Colorado really instilled that in me because we got so much better over the year over year. And um, it was rooted in, like, hey, we're not supposed to be the basketball guys, but then why not? Like, let's be the underdogs. Let's tell each other that we can do this over and over again, and let's show up for each other over and over again and do the work, and eventually it's going to pay off. You know, 4 and 17 and 2015, 16. No, sorry, 4 and 17 and 2016, 17, all the way to 28 now undefeated, 27 and now undefeated state champs in 2022. It's like a, this group of young men demonstrated that if they commit to each other, that's what they're capable of in a space where nobody from the outside looking in, all the way up to the end, everybody's saying that it's not possible, like they're not going to do that, and they did. You know, so. It goes back to like, you know, my my thoughts on like the gifts of the sport, how it's shaped the way I see the world, how it's also shaped the way I perceive my relationship with my recovery. Um, it's given me purpose um, for something outside of myself that I can be of service to. Um, but I also learned to recognize that I can only be at my best self and show up for this in the right way when I when I focus on myself first and take care of myself first, you know. You have to be selfish for a second. Yeah, I have to be selfish for a second. And you, uh, if, if, you, if someone was listening now and they are currently struggling, would your message be the same as it was to yourself or would you tell them something different? <sighs> now it's different because it's kind of like I know me. Mm-hmm. I know, I don't know myself completely, but I have a much better understanding of how I operate versus when I did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Even in the midst of my active addiction, which was not that long ago, yeah. maybe the height of it was probably three years ago, you know? Yeah, almost four years ago, mm-hmm. three and a half. So the, the advice I would give myself was like specifically tailored for me right. versus, I don't know if yours would be or not, if you'd like. No, sorry, I paused for a sec because I think, you know, there's a universal nature to it and also this respect to we all have our own path. Um, but I think what people, what I needed to hear and what I think anybody needs to hear when they're just in the depths of something is one, you're not alone. Um, as isolating and lonely as this can feel like, there are so many people out there that will accept you without a blink and that can empathize with you way deeper than you would have realized that, um, you know, there aren't as many boxes as it might feel like. So many people have reservations about taking the step towards recovery because, you know, either one space they talk about God too much or another space that yeah, there's so many different little things where it feels like I don't know if I can fit in any or one of these and therefore I don't know if that's right for me. Um, and being graceful and open and, like, not resisting and just saying, like, look, I'm going to try it and I need to put myself around people that might be able to relate to it and will reinforce this idea that I have that worth and I have that value and I am capable. Because what's crazy to me is no matter how deep I've gotten in this experience, as I look back at it, it's wild just how... It's like the flip side of a coin, man. Like, just how I perceive everything can really radically shift if I give myself this chance and just take a couple steps forward. It doesn't solve everything. Like, just stopping using, it's the daunting part about it. Is it feels like the biggest challenge at the moment, and yet, like, oh, that's once that stops, like, that's when the work really starts. It's the first step. Yeah, it's like you said, you rip the Band-Aid off, there's an open wound, and you finally get to start healing it a little. Okay, but the only way that you can be able to start the healing process is one... You have to believe that it can, you can do better. And no matter how much trouble or struggle that you have in your wake behind you, you can always come back. You can always come back, dude. Like, and I didn't think I'd be here today. I didn't think I was going to make it past 25. And, you know, when I'm right and I'm grounded, I can, I'm grateful that the gift of it is every single day is a gift now because I didn't think I was going to have it. I don't know how many more I've got. Hopefully it's a lot. But, um, 
it astounds me at how convinced I was that there was no way that I'd be happy. There was no way that I'd find balance. There was no way that I could get out of this. And um, yeah, it's, it was always there. It was just right on the back of my head. I just kept turning around looking for it, not realizing I just had to reach back here, you know? Um, and it's not easy. It's painful and it's brutal and it's real, but like <laughs> that's life, you know? And you're so capable of facing that if you give yourself that chance, you know, and you give yourself that grace. None of it's going to be perfect. Um, you might and probably will fuck up multiple times. Fall down. And fall down and step on yourself and. Yeah, and that's the gift. Is that's those. That's how we learn. All the lessons come in those. As long as we're graceful with it and we're able to respond and say, "Okay, next play, I'm going to try again." Um, I feel like maybe that's just what this is all about, man. It's just I'm going to keep trying. And we've all started that. We've all done a process like that when mm -hmm. we learned how to walk. Yep. Nobody <laughs> just started walking and never fell. You know what I mean? Exactly. And then even taking it further, trying to learn how to run. You know, that's even. So I, I riding a bike, down, falling down the grass yeah. hill over and over again, and then suddenly it just clicks. You Basketball, know? you didn't make your first shot. If you did, that's awesome. But uh, if, you, if you're nothing but net on your first attempt, you know, from three, you know, eight years old, five years old, whatever, like nobody, you know. You might be setting yourself up for unrealistic expectations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I say basketball coaching all the time. It's like, man, some of us, I used to be so hard on myself. You know, I'd miss a shot or I'd get a turnover God. Ah. It express my distaste with myself because I wanted people to know like I am I know I'm better than this and I can do better and I will but I wasn't graceful with myself for a lot of my uh, my early years in basketball you know because I was insecure and I was scared of not doing it perfectly and I was like the best players in the world shot around 50% that means half the time they failed, you know? Mm -hmm. So you think Kobe was over here getting mad at himself every time he missed a shot? No, he was like, oh, sweet, I'm one step closer to my next make, and if next you go, play. If you take it back to the three-point line, that percentage is even lower. Mm -hmm. You know, like the best is like 40. Yep. You know? So that means two-thirds of the time almost they failed. Mm -hmm. so. And yet they're not, we're not hard on ourselves. And that's like one of those euphemisms for life is like, man, this isn't going to be perfect, but that perfectionism can make it really tough, especially when we're surrounded by so many highlights, you know, people's lives are only positive in the bright light and only the good. And yeah, it's like an ESPN highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And that's where we go back to this idea of representation, man. It's like, how are we representing each other? And if there are going to be labels in this period in history, then, okay, let's represent these labels with dignity and integrity and decency, you know? And from there, then hopefully some culture can emerge where they are not definitive and they're not differentiators. They're just aspects, right? Uh, traits and positive added, positive, added you nuances. Even, you ain't even got to bring it up unless you're proud of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. like, that's how I feel like it should be. You know, like. No, we should be I, proud of I it. I don't always. tell you I'm Native American because I want to say that I'm different from you or that you're different from me. Right. You know, it's a point of pride for me, you mm -hmm. know? Just the same with you, you know. I'm a black German gay male. <laughs> Here I am. Here I am in America, <laughs> in 2023, figuring it out. Yeah, you know, we're, we're all we're all there though, man. It's a, uh, it's 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 awesome to see. Not even see, but whenever you're around people, you know, like you can feel it. Mm -hmm. It's like almost palpable energy. You know what I mean? It makes you feel good. So, um, that's awesome, guys. Um, Jack, I appreciate you very much, man. I'm going to ask you one more question. Hit me. Um, there's a lot of people, like, and I'm glad you said drug pandemic, because I don't even think we had a COVID epidemic. And when I say that, I don't mean to downplay nothing, because we did have a couple of deaths on arrest from COVID. Mm -hmm. But I think during that time, I don't know the official stat, but I would say that we're close to double, almost triple of deaths from drugs and alcohol than COVID, you know. And there's a lot of families affected by it. Cause you know, it don't like, your your story didn't affect just you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you went to your mom and dad's house, I'm sure like you were thinking, they were like, what the fuck? You know, like, um, and I'm sure they supported you along your, your falls as you learned how to walk again. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for someone 
out there who might have a family member that's struggling, because I know I have a couple of listeners that, I mean, they tell me, you know, hey, I love your podcast. I, I've got someone close to me that's struggling. I don't know how to love them. I don't know what to do. Is there something, what can I do to help just to be there for them? That was actually um, one of my favorite podcasts outside of Diary of an Addict <laughs> is uh, Midnight Miracle, and that's Yasin Bey, Talib Kweli, and Dave Chappelle. And Yasin tells a story, one of the episodes about how do you inspire, I think it's side A. And um, the question is, like, how do you inspire somebody that doesn't love and want to help themselves? Um, and I think what they rooted down to is, like, you just have to do something beautiful for them, and you have to constantly remind them that they're loved and they have a place to go. Um, and a day to you could feel like a week to them. And so making sure that the, the, the reminder is there. And, you know, this double-edged sword is... You know, the only time I've seen somebody really, truly affect change in their life in this world of recovery is when they really had that gift of desperation, you know, that they really wanted to change. And um, that happens at different stages from different people. Some people have to bounce over and over and roll on their rock bottom for a while before they get there and hope then pray that it doesn't kill them, you know, yeah. and it's heartbreaking. Um, that's where I think so much of it is rooted in esteem and self-worth and so much of these things are rooted in aspects of our story that happened a long time ago that we might not even fully understand and um, you know I don't have an answer for it but I know that the success stories I've seen in recovery are I'd say 90 plus percent surrounded by consistent unconditional love um, it's really hard if you don't battle this disease it's really hard to fully empathize with it it's like I've got friends of mine that are having kids right now and I don't have a kid of my own and so I know that I can only empathize with it to a degree because I haven't created something that is a part of myself that therefore takes and dominates an aspect of my being right another person another little being that I'm responsible for so therefore, I empathize to an extent and then I respect that there's a level to it that I can't fully comprehend. Um, I think a lot of people outside of the world of recovery, like our nature is, we seek to define it and describe it and understand it as much as we can. And a lot of it might, I mean, we look at this pandemic we're dealing with and why is it happening to such an unseen population of people? And I think there's a big population of people that vilify these folks for making these choices as if, you know, there might be a few people that they just love living that way, but a lot of these people are subjected and enslaved to the, this disease, and they're watching themselves destroy their own life, and they can't stop it no matter how hard they want to, you know? And sometimes it just takes somebody doing something beautiful for them. And uh, if, you know, that's why we let off this conversation with, like, what is privilege in this world to stay in age? I mean, I think in a big way it's, if it's not directly by your parents or a sibling, if it's a mentor, if it's extended family, if it's good friends, if you have that unconditional love around you that's willing to consistently be there, that's gonna answer that call when you call them, that reminds you that you can always ask for help, and it's okay, it's totally okay if everything's not okay, you know? And you can always talk to me about it, I'm never gonna shy away from you, and I'm never gonna judge you for it. Whatever, you can tell me anything, it'll always stay between us and I'm here to support you. Like, if we had more people telling each other that, I feel like that'd be a great way to combat it. And outside of that, I'm also, I have never been politically inclined and I'm realizing that a lot of these systemic issues uh, <laughs> lie in the fact that I, for so many years in my early adulthood, did not care or pay any attention to politics and we're realizing, man, these people are making a lot of decisions about how our world is operating um, and a lot of my generation and below don't pay attention at all. I am very guilty of it, and I'm trying to play catch-up and learn more because, yeah, we got to get involved, and we have to figure out how can we affect change as a culture and a community. You know, um, community is so big, and it's not just, you know, if we all around each other are looking out for each other and smiling and saying hi and learning each other's name and, yeah, respect each other's business and privacy, but let them know that we're here. You know, if we create a, a culture like that, and really reinforce it time and again, um, hopefully we can start 
seeing change, seeing people a little bit more uplifted that might want to affect that change in themselves, you know? It reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen Reservation Dogs. Mm -mm. Res Dogs, I feel like you guys Res mentioned dogs, it before. Yeah. Well, it just ended. I was devastated. Uh -huh. but in the last episode, this lady, she's talking to this young girl, and she tells her, it's the community, just like you said. She's talking about the generational trauma, you know, manifest this and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But she's talking about, she says, they knew that if they broke the community, they would break the individual. Yep. And so to heal the individual, you heal the community. Mm -hmm. And I think that what you're saying, that goes along with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's perfectly well put. It's all of us, you know, we all got to do our part. And that's, that's for so many things, you know, if we want to affect change and like just Israel, Palestine, Gaza Strip, um, third world countries that are starving, that don't have the amenities we do, you know, addiction, um, alcoholism, like all these require a group effort, mm -hmm. I think. You know, it reminds me of like the potlatch story. Jackie was talking about lifting the sky. Mm -hmm. Not one of us can, not a couple of us can. It's gonna take a collective effort of everybody the smallest animal, you know, or the smallest person, the smallest kid, everyone. And then I think we can do it, so. Jackie says that all the time. She says, it doesn't just say take a village, it takes a whole village, you yeah. know? Um, it takes a whole tribe, it takes a whole family. And uh, yeah, man, I think we've learned these lessons time and again, you know, it's just sometimes I think they get lost in the mix. And, Applied uh, knowledge. What you're doing, man, is you're giving people a chance to kind of remind ourselves of some of these things. And Like I said, dude, it's hard to talk about. It's hard to, you know, lay your bones out with also trying to be consistent that this is my experience and this isn't me saying that this is exactly how you have to do it. There aren't rules to this. I think if there is any rule... I used to say servant heart, no agenda. Now I say servant heart, lone agenda, because the only agenda is love, right? The only rule is we just have to love each other. There's a chance that I'm you and you're me, and at some point in the past or future, I might be sitting across from me right now looking at this body through those eyes, right? And therefore, I owe it to myself, to you, to leave a positive impact, to, to help you believe that you're capable of something great, that you are incredible beyond belief and recognition, that you're an abject miracle in your own right. And we have to, we have to lift each other up like that, man. Um, we're so much closer together than I think we realize. And um, like I said, dude, this, this just exercise and being able to speak and share and be open and honest with somebody, um, it's so therapeutic, you know, and it feels really good. And, I just, I love what you're doing, man. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for sharing. It was a wonderful evening, man. So it was. Good food, good company, yeah, good conversation. Man, for real.